This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Discover Zeo's expansive network maps on their website and see where their network can take you. With low latency, reliable 400 gig and 800 gig enabled routes, it's the modern network solution you've been searching for. Welcome everyone to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today we have a special guest. His name is Matthias Friedstrom. He's the vice president and chief evangelist of a company called Aurelian. Matthias, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Albert. Listen, we're pumped to have you. I've read and done a little homework about what is Aurelian. What does it do? It is a newer named company, although it's not a new company. You guys changed your name recently, um, well, relatively recently. Mm -hmm. But if you could, for our audience, could you tell us, Matthias, what is Aurelian and what does it do? Yeah, no, uh, that's a good question, actually. We are a, I would say we're a network provider. We have a global network uh, spanning across pretty much the entire globe, customers in around 126 countries. So what we do really is we serve the internet backbone of the world. You know, we can't sort of connect the content provider to have something to show on the internet with the end users, the ISPs, the mobile operators that serves the people that want to use the internet. And we're the one in between. So kind of the internet backbone, the pipes that no one really believes are existing, the ones underneath on on the seabed and so on. So that's kind of what we do. And then obviously we do serve some enterprise customers and others with connections between their headquarters or their small remote offices and so on. So basically providing network services. There you go. And where are you guys primarily operating out of? Uh, We have... Offices in 17 countries around the world. Uh, we are headquartered in Stockholm, Sweden, but we do have a lot of people in the US. We do have a lot of people pretty much everywhere in Europe and also in Asia. So that's where we are. There you go. Well, listen, Network, you know, our title sponsor is AO, and we're so, and I am actually from a networking background. Uh, I like to say it's the most boring thing ever, but the most essential thing ever to technology. Yeah. If you love technology, that means you have to love the internet. Uh, you have to love network. In your opinion, you know, we see all the time and, and right now, especially, right, these large language models that are happening in AI, data processing, the amount of information that needs to be transported in real time in order to make any of this possible is, of course, substantial. At some point, people think to themselves, hey, is 5, 5G is already fast enough? Can we get faster? Like, how much faster is the world going to get? Give, give us a picture in your perspective of how much data demand is is pushing innovation in your in the sector because I would think that it's so expensive to dig a line across the ocean like man this must have plenty of capacity but I'm guessing that we're going to get to a point soon where that capacity is going to be reached and these lines are going to have to get bigger I don't know you tell me give us an idea of what's going on in regards to data demand uh, for processing compute and how much information is now moving uh, around yeah. the world. No, that's, that's a really good question. And, and, and basically, you know, the demand is, is just increasing every year. We're, we're sort of, I, I would say in the beginning of every year, we're like, okay, this might be the year when traffic is not going to go anymore. People can't spend more time in, in front of computers. There's, you know, everyone have enough capacity. So that's, you know, we're here. And we're getting every year, the traffic is increasing 25, 30%. And there's even more mm. demand out there. Uh, and it's growing, even in Western Europe and US, where you would think the market would be saturated. And then we have the new geographies, Africa, South America, Asia, where traffic is booming and, and there's still a lack of transport capacity to serve the markets, really. So 
I would say, you know, traffic is just continuously growing. Uh, you mentioned AI and that stuff. We haven't even seen AI traffic <laughs> come into the network. So, you know, when that's going to come in, uh, there's a lot of edge data, mobile data, IoT data. There's tons of data that needs to be traversing the, the network. So the feeling we have living on traffic growth, you know, is this the year when it's not going to happen? There's yeah. a huge demand for data out there. You just said something that curiously fascinates me. Uh, you mentioned that the AI, the AI is just beginning and we we see that in the news. It's in the news all the time. And you kind of g- gave the hint that the data demand is really just beginning. So every single year you mentioned, hey, we think that we're going to, we're going about to start troughing or peaking or plateauing, however you want, anyone wants to use that term. This is all the data that's going to need to be moved. And it's like, okay, wait a second. Now, if we go to real-time AI modeling, now it might go through the roof. Give us an idea of some of the projects you've seen and what you can envision happening to networks and what's going to, what are we going to need as a backbone in order to run these uh, services and applications? AI is, is just booming and it's all about, you know, using, you can see all these large data centers being built around the world. And of course, data centers needs to be built where they should be built and not sort of really where people live. They need to be built where energy is efficient and green and, mm. and loads of it and and so on. So, and for, for AI to really take off, you need loads of compute and storage and all that stuff. So, a company like us transporting data from a company right into the cloud where the data centers are, that's just for AI to really make sense. You need a ton of data to, to use and calculate. And, and with I can just see the start of this where you see enterprises doing all their calculations. You can see car manufacturers doing all their test drives somewhere, calculating everything in a data center somewhere else and, and sending that traffic back and forth between the headquarters and the data centers and the test drives. And, and, and all of that is just in the beginning of everything, you know. Uh, Pretty much every industry is really looking into how can we make sense of this data and how can we use this data in a much better way. I would say our own company is a good example of that. There's data pouring out of our network that we don't use today because we have no clue how to use it. But of course, Mm. you get, you know, there's tons of things you can see in our network that you could use for for future reasons. And, And I'm pretty sure every company have the same situation right now. A lot of data they don't need how to do it. That is true. And uh, one of the things I always think about is because, you, you know, you, you just mentioned it in regards to how much data is being created. Data, we keep adding more sensors, more technology to just about everything in our everyday lives. So all of these things are producing more endpoints. There's more measurables. There's, you know, I, I, I use a simple analogy of like tire pressure sensors that, of course, didn't exist at one point, right? And now it does exist. And that's just one day, an extra data point that can tell somebody, hey, my car's performing differently. And I always think about how, because autonomous vehicles have, were long, I think, been the goal. And we see it in the news in the States a lot because of what's happening in San Francisco and with crews and people, some people are complaining because I think there was recently like 10 of the cars uh, stopped uh, and caused traffic jam a little bit. Um, But uh, they were talking about all the sensor data that has to go back. And this was long been like this debate of like, what's going to happen first is computing and processing going to get so small that there's going to be more edge computing or is network going to get so big and fast that it doesn't need to be computed at the edge. It could just move and long haul it back to a processing center. But it sounds like they're both increasing at the same time. Absolutely. No, absolutely. I think the edge is increasing because there's some stuff that shouldn't leave the edge. You know, you need to compute it really quick. And there's some stuff that you need more data for and that needs to go back to the data center. So I think you're absolutely right. Both of them are increasing. 
Um, there is no one that can say that everything is going to stay at the edge because it's not going to happen. Uh, there needs to be data back to the data centers because you need to have enough data to draw some smart conclusions in there. And some stay, some some data should just stay at the edge. You know, no one really needs to see that data somewhere else. But yeah, I, I think we're just in the beginning of all this. Uh, I think the biggest trick right now is finding the business cases that make sense here. You know, yeah, you can you can find a ton of data from your car, but it's only until you're really happy to start to pay for those services that someone can really use that, you know. Why would you need to know your car tire pressure every day, every hour, you know? <laughs> it, it worked pretty well when you checked it once <laughs> once a quarter. So, you know, and I think that's the tough part right now, you know. We have a lot of business cases out there, but someone needs to pay for it, you know. The other big challenge is that's happening now is like as more things become connected and more things become dependent, uh, I would say data dependent, right? Because so let's use the example of, a, of maybe the tire is not a good example, but we know of machines now uh, like doorbells are connected to the internet. We know that locks are now connected to the internet. So now it becomes this requirement of like, hey, it becomes a point of failure too, because now if you have an internet powered lock, for example, and you don't have your code or your phone or whatever, I don't know, you, you forgot your stuff. Now now you have dependencies. And if you have dependencies, that means you need security. Give us yeah. an idea of what's happening now, because that's the other thing that's happening. And I know carriers like yourself get asked and pushed towards security requirements all the time. What is happening now in security? Because as we become more dependent on the internet, it becomes, yeah. I mean, it kind of becomes more vulnerable too. Absolutely. You're perfectly right. And I would say security is the theme of 2023. You know, everyone is asking for security. Everyone is asking us, you know, what type of security you have in your network? Where are your traffic flying by? And, you know, how many countries are involved and all that stuff? You know, this is this is essential right now. I would say that the world is much more security aware now than it was a couple of years ago. So I think we're moving in the right direction. There will always be bad guys out there trying to get into, and, and you know, you said it yourself, you know, if anyone can use everyone's fridge to, to do an attack like that, you know, but I think people are more aware of that these things are vulnerable. People are more picky when they pick the password and all that stuff. There's, there's more things people can do. But security is for sure the biggest topic of everyone right now. You know, uh, we get asked a lot, you know, uh, are your cables safe enough? You know, how do you handle encryption on, on your network? You know, do you know where all the data is stored and all that stuff? So absolutely, it's it's a big point right now and, and a big question for everyone. And everyone needs to start to think about it. But I would say, given the things that are happening in the world right now, people are more security aware right now. And I, I would say... It's tougher for the bad guys right now. Uh, uh, obviously, over time, they will find new ways of hacking people. But I, I would say right now, we see positive trends in, in the amount of attacks and, and the abilities of companies to protect themselves from attacks. How about for your company at Aurelion? How are you and your company being more proactive in this approach? Because this is something that's, like you said, it's not going to go away. And, and no. we all, we obviously know that the bad actors... They also never stop, right? So right no. now it might be a challenge, but they'll eventually find a way in and then you'll have to close that gap. <laughs> no, absolutely. No, uh, I would say we we have a big focus on this one. And, and obviously one of our most important services is this DDoS protection service that we can sell to companies, making sure that whatever traffic is going through our network, we can kind of 
get rid of the bad traffic and only make sure that the good traffic is moved forward. Uh, you do that through smart algorithm, looking at the traffic at all times. And if it starts to look very weird compared to how it looked before, then something is there and, and we investigate. But I would also say the good thing is that a lot of the bigger operators are now working much more together. You know, everyone has understood that this is a common problem of everyone. So why not work together? So before, you know, you try to explain to customers that we are so much better than the others. Uh, but in some way, we all live in the same world and we live in the same network. So now I would say we're helping everyone to get the internet much, much better and much safer. So there are good signs out there. Uh, we obviously spend a lot more time on this than we did before. Uh, it's a very important. And, and as I said, the DDoS service we had, there was a lot of companies before that said, you know, oh, we don't, we don't need to treat that. You know, we deal with that ourselves. I think that type of service is now bought more than ever by from companies like us. Even though they have their good protection themselves, why not have a second one protecting them as well? So I, I would say networks are better protected these days. People are working better together. But as you said, the crooks will always find a new way, but hopefully we can catch them earlier and earlier. Yeah, yeah. And become more and identify them faster and faster. Yeah. You, meant, you made a comment that I think I'd love to kind of expand upon, um, because I don't think many of the world knows this, right? Is like all these carriers, it used to be, there used to be a thought process of like, Hey, I'm going to play like turf defense. I only want traffic on my network for my customers. And they're going to be able to move data across my network. But then that became, unfortunately, it's not a reality anymore because there's so many needs. There's so many faster pathways. And the way I always describe it to, people that are not familiar with network is like, just imagine plumbing. It's plumbing. Like there's pipes yeah. everywhere, but if there's a faster route and it's on another carrier's line, should you use it? Right. And so now you mentioned like, we're becoming this world where it's like, you guys are all working together a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> how did, how is that being involving? Because I guess at the end of the day, customers want to know that they're going to get the fastest, fastest yeah. move as much data as fast as possible with the least amount of a jitter, friction, whatever. And uh, and if you try to close your network in, it just, it doesn't work that way. Give us an idea of what's been happening in your industry. Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, I think people more and more realize this is an ecosystem of, of, of a lot of networks and, and there are a ton of networks out there. Uh, I think internet today is about 70,000 networks that's connected together. So all these, seven, <laughs> all these 70,000 networks needs to work together in some shape or form. Some are more transport networks, some are local networks, some are different. But I think that the largest, uh, most international networks have realized that, you know, none of us can serve YouTube traffic alone. That's impossible. There's too much YouTube <laughs> traffic out there. So yeah, if we get a portion of it, but if the others also, and, and we kind of help each other to, to serve these large giant customers, then of course, there's some customers you want to have for yourself, but most of the customers are using more than one network. And therefore we have to work together to serve the community and, and making sure that people are, uh, no one can take all that traffic alone. So in some way, yeah. <laughs> Even though we sometimes compete on price and we compete on uh, you know quality and everything, there is an element where we need to work together. Uh, and and I can't build my network in every country around the world. I need someone to help me to some parts of the world where I can help them to other parts of the world. So I I think this enormous ecosystem in some ways is an interesting way. You know, sometimes you're selling, sometimes you're buying, sometimes you're competing. So yeah, the wholesale world is just bananas sometimes. But but, <laughs> but you know. Uh, 
it kind of works. <laughs> yeah, it, I mean, I, I mean, I'm the as an end user, so far so good. You know, I can't <laughs> tell if things are happening or not happening, but uh, I trust that when I know we're, we've all gotten used to it. Like, I think we all take it for granted almost. Like, how many yeah. deals have to be made? How much infrastructure has to be built in order for us to do exactly as you said uh, to watch that cat video wherever I am in the world? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what does it take? When I think about doing this, I also think about the compliance because I know that country to country, different rules, different regulations, different ways to store traffic or requirements to store traffic, store data. Give us an idea of what it means on your side because you're operating, as you mentioned, with offices, at least in 17. Yeah. Your, prop, your data is moving yeah. in arguably every country in the world. Um yeah. Give us an idea of what that means in regards to like uh, protection, security, compliance, because it's got to be a, it's got to be absolutely, tough. and and that's a really good question, and that's something that's really been complicated the last couple of years. You know, internet was really not built with borders; it was that's supposed right. to be one network, uh, and you could, you know, if if you had your storage in Argentina and you had your users in uh, Peru and you had the company that worked with this in Germany, you know, it was perfect. But then obviously all these rules came around where, where can you store data, where can you traverse data and all that stuff. And that's really complicated life for us as a carrier. Uh, I mentioned earlier, we are serving customers in 126 countries. We have our own network in 34 countries around. <laughs> and now we really need to think about, you know, okay, that customer over there, they want to have their data stored only in that country. Okay, how do we make sure that traffic is never crossing any borders? Internet is not designed for that. It was designed to be a global network where borders were removed. Now we have introduced borders again. And I can really see the reasons why. Uh, I can't really complain about that. I understand that people are skeptical about how other countries are treating their data and using the data. So I understand why. But it's really complicated life for, for us. And we need to be we need to prove to our customers that we have control of the data. We know where the data is stored, where it's traversing and, and where it's delivered. And, and yeah, uh, we have a bunch of people just looking at that right now, making sure we do comply with all the rules, both in US and in Europe uh, and in other countries around the world. So they haven't really helped us in, in getting the information. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. Listen, there's a saying in the United States, they always call it, they say, you know, the only things that are guaranteed in life are death and taxes. And yep. that's the next thing that's going to start happening because we already see with like in Europe, GDPR penalties, uh, violations. And in, in, uh, I do believe this to be the case, um, which of course will become your problem next, uh, which is countries are going to start putting harder financial penalties on not yeah. following their compliance rules because they see all the money that the internet, the internet helps facilitate money, obviously for every company in the world. And I think governments are going to start wanting their piece, their cut. Uh, that I, I think that the fines, levies, rules, compliance, Unfortunately for you, Matthias, it's only going to get harder. No, absolutely. <laughs> I totally agree with you. And, 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 and I would say we've really beefed up that team with a couple of more yeah. people in there just to make sure that we comply with all the rules in all the countries where we operate uh, and making sure that, yeah, whatever new law is coming out, we, we understand and we adhere and, and we comply. Because as you said, it's just going to be harder and harder and tougher and tougher. How big is that team now? Uh, that team is actually like three, four people right now, which is much more than the zero people we had before. So <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. 
pretty much everyone in the company is involved in some way. You know, we need to make sure that everyone is complying. Everyone understands the rule. GDPR is all about, you know, not storing anything on your own computer. So yeah. whenever you receive, if someone is sending you a CV saying, you know, uh, here's my CV, I want to start working with you. The way you treat that CV is just becoming a bit tricky. You know, you, you're not really allowed to store it anymore. You can say, you know, I'm sorry, we don't have any openings and throw it away. But there, yeah, this GDPR stuff is just complicated and, and it's for everyone. So visit Zayo's website today to unlock the power of your network and tap into the technologies of tomorrow. Go to Zayo.com slash network now. Yeah, super, super challenging. You know, the thing that the thing that I, I like thinking about, though, is, you know, this is all for a good this is all for a good reason. This is what I think about. It's like technology keeps advancing. Of course, we can look at the negative aspects of it, but the reality is our lives do improve. I think uh, in general, when different innovative minds come together and decide to build solutions, give us an idea. How are you and what does your team think about when it comes to building solutions for customers? Because the reality is as a network provider, I mean, you just do not know what people are trying to do until they raise their hands and say, hey, Matthias, I'm trying to do this. Yeah. Give us an idea of what you, how you guys are approaching building your services. You know, hardware and equipment is one thing. That thing that's that's yeah. harder to change, but of course, services are faster to change. Yeah. Give us an idea of what like people are coming forward with, the kind of projects they're coming forward with, and what that means for you and your team in order to build yeah. those services so that these projects can happen. Yeah, no, but I think I think companies are becoming sort of aware of these things and therefore we can we can start to ask them about the questions about what type of traffic they have i think before you know everyone just bought traffic between sites and they could care less about if that was voice traffic mobile traffic data traffic whatever i think people are becoming aware of traffic criticalities and 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 you know if they come to us and says you know this is my financial data it's super important it just can't go anywhere then the solution from our side is a much more secure solution than if the traffic is just you know emails between employees, you know, uh, and, and other stuff. So I think working with customers, asking them what type of traffic do you have and how critical is this traffic for being sent back and forth? You know, if a sales office is out of internet for a couple of hours, it's no big deal. But if a manufacturing plant is without traffic for five minutes, <laughs> it's a big deal. So I think uh, companies become aware of the criticality of their traffic and therefore we ask more questions to them and therefore yeah, what usually could be a, a super simple solution between a headquarter and a, and a manufacturing plant could today be three different solutions in terms of the traffic, you know, uh, some type of traffic is going four different routes, making sure it never gets down. Other traffic is just using the public internet and when it works, it works, you know, best effort is good enough. So uh, I think we spend a, a lot more time with customers trying to understand their need uh, and therefore tailoring solutions to them. Whereas five years ago, we would have sold the same thing to absolutely everyone and didn't really ask what they used it for. <laughs> no doubt. Now, the other thing that I'm, I'm curious about is like, do you try to predict their data growth? Uh, because that's one of the things that you mentioned earlier, right? It's like every year you guys try to predict what's going to happen because uh, you want to right size. Of course, you want to right size yeah. somebody because they don't, you want them to overpay. And then can, they have this huge direct line and it's like, they don't ever use it. They're going to be like, what is this? Come on, man. Uh, you're killing me. Or even worse, you mentioned like in manufacturing, if I'm under capacity. Now, this is a serious yeah. problem. If I'm under capacity because I can't operate. Give us an idea of how you make sure that you don't 
reach the ladder, which is like you yeah. don't have no, I, I think that's, needs. Yeah, that's a really <laughs> good question as well. And that's, that's really important. Obviously, we've been around for 25 years, so we have some historical data and we can, you know, if we can see that the traffic from Budapest uploading the internet is like this and it's been like this for the last 15 years it's growing by 15 percent on a quarterly basis then we can obviously plan out of that but of course there is a portion where we need to guess where we need to predict what's going to happen and then of course there's always the possibility of a weak and oversupply capacity to make sure we're never out of capacity that's the last thing we want to be you know no one wants to have a rumor around the world that they don't have enough capacity so don't buy from them so i would say you know we're we're more on the oversupply side than we are on the greedy side of trying to be as exactly perfect all the time uh, but of course you know over provision and paying for something you no one is ever using is also bad so I would say this is a skill of its own, making sure that the, you have the right size on your network. I would say, luckily, if you, if you if I look at our backbone, we've reached the size right now where we are the largest backbone in the world. We have the largest internet backbone in the world, and therefore the size of our network is now really, really big. And it's only really the if if you would say the five largest hyperscalers that could not drain us with traffic, but you know most of the other customers are. Yeah, their growth, even if they grow 100% in a month, we would be able to take that traffic, you know. If, if Amazon would grow 100% in a month, then we would be in trouble. But, <laughs> but you know, <laughs> I would say we are constantly looking at the traffic levels everywhere and trying to build out whenever we see there is a need to build out because no one really want to be out of traffic on any route. So, uh, But it's a skill of its own. It, it's, a, it's a tough thing. Hey, no doubt. The uh, I wanted to share a story, and hopefully they'll spark you to share a story as well. I got to meet with um, a food global food manufacturer. Uh, it was called Bueller. Uh, they they make machines that make food. Uh, so for all of us that eat food, which is everybody, most of the time your food is processed on a Bueller machine. And they were talking about how as their technology has gotten smarter, and a lot of their factories and plants their network requirements have completely changed. And so they gave an example of like their peanut processing plants and how they've introduced new sensors that can sense, um, let's say like fungus, uh, fungus and uh, poisons, aflatoxins that could hurt people if we ate them. And so these sensors are now constantly sending data to wherever and wow. the machines no longer rely on people to identify the aflatoxins, it's all in real time, all this data sorting, counting, and it's done by batch. So they know like which farms the problem's at. And it's all to stop the peanuts, of course, from mixing in the food chain. If the peanuts get mixed into the food chain, this becomes a problem uh, because, of course, that's when the huge recalls happen, of course, where they say, hey, every single bag of peanuts has to be pulled down. So they're trying to stop any peanut that has this problem from entering the food chain. And they were explaining the amount of data that that produces and how remote some of these places are. And it further supports your story, which is like, we're not going to see a limit. There's always going to be a company that's going to be like, Hey man, Matthias, I need internet bandwidth in the middle of a farm, in the middle of wherever. And it's got to process this many of, you know, gigs of data per second because I'm moving this many things through it and I need it to start and stop my machines in real time. You're right. Uh, more and more business is business critical and, and, and that traffic is just, you know, we need to treat everyone like it's life or death uh, because it, it is really important. The traffic out there is, is super important. 
Yeah. We found a little nugget on you that I thought was interesting. Uh, you said, like, I got to read this personal professional bio. There's a certain type of person who gets a little bit too excited about networks. And Matias is that guy. If he had a tattoo, <laughs> it would be of a network. Now, I've never heard that. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> How did you get into it? No, yeah, it's a good question, really. And now I, I, I had this perfect timing of coming out of university right before the IT bubble at the end of the 90s. The funny thing, I joined this company and, and right the first thing that they did, I was supposed to build C cables. That was my initial job, you know. Uh, they hired me as a C cable builder. Uh, and right in the end of, or sort of in the middle of 1997, there were four guys deciding to build a private C cable across the Atlantic. That was unheard of before, you know. All the cables before were built by all the incumbents around the world, and they shared like they had like 2% each. Uh, and it was all these big consortium and everything. Here comes four guys saying, you know, we're going to build a private cable across the Atlantic. We're going to sell with volume re reduction. And we're going to have short delivery times, and we're going to make money on this. And everyone came home from that event saying, we need to build a cable. I came home from the event, and I told my company, I was just a junior new guy, we need to build a cable somewhere, you know. And that was the start of this whole madness of internet backbones and everything. And it feels like I've changed the industry so many years without being changing companies because, you know, in the beginning it was most phone calls, then it was internet traffic, then it was TV, and then it's like everything. So, yeah, uh, I'm still in this business. I kind of promised to leave by 2001. I'm still here. Uh, so <laughs> I've had many different roles in my company. I was the CTO for many years. I got bored of that. I wanted to do something else, and therefore chief evangelist sounded cool. Um, it is still cool. How did that happen? How did you become? We just felt, you know, uh, no one should have a job too long. And I was the CTO and I felt, you know, I want to get back to the business side. But we realized we didn't really have anyone in the company that had the time to think about the future, think about what we need to do better, what everyone else is doing, having the time to talk to customers without trying to sell to them, you know, trying to mm -hmm. figure out what they're after, you know, what's their need without being pushy on selling. So uh, we kind of invented this role of chief evangelist. I said, you know, I want it. I got it. Uh, and I'm trying to figure out what everyone else is doing and what we need to do better to keep up with everyone else. And and, and are there things we, we do better than some and should we do more of that? So trying really to figure out what, what the world is, what what's happening in the world and, and how do we fit into that world? Uh, because it's a quite complicated world, as you said, you know, the ecosystem is enormously big. We have the hyperscalers that just do what they do. And then we have others who are serving the, the private market. And is there a place for us in this puzzle? Uh, likely it is right now, uh, hopefully tomorrow. Yeah. When you think <laughs> about what is happening, because this is where where your insights, I think, are going to be most interesting to our um, our listeners. Because you get to see some of these projects that people are, like you said, it's like an easy way if I'm a CTO or a CEO of a company and, and it doesn't matter where I'm from. I could be in vehicles, I could be in farming, I could whatever industry I'm in, there's probably a data enabled solution I'm talking to you about. Like, hey, I'm trying to do that. Like, I'm not saying I figured it out, but I'd like to. What are some like the, some of the projects you hear about people trying to do that you're like, man, if, I hope they make it because if they figure this out, this is going to change this is going to change things. Yeah, no, I, I, I would say the satellite guys, I, I Starlink and Kuiper and, and these ones, I think they're they're quite interesting because I think, you know, there's a, t 
ton of places around the world where there is absolutely no connectivity. And as you said, you know, people, people, people want to be connected absolutely everywhere. That's right. And to connect someone in the desert of US or in the middle of the forest in Africa or sort of in the fields of India, there are places around the world where you absolutely need something else than fiber cables and though, uh, and therefore the satellite systems that's coming around, they're never going to replace the fiber cables because they can't produce enough traffic for them, but they can be really, really good in remote areas and they can really be a good support to guys like us who wants to serve the global market, but can't really build networks everywhere. So I would say those projects that comes around are, are super interesting and, and to see where they succeed. And, and if they really succeed, then we can serve the sort of the 3 billion people around the world that don't have internet connectivity compared to the 7 billion or 5 billion that have. So uh, I would say those are those are very interesting projects. Uh, but then, of course, there is a ton of enterprise projects where you believe, you know, wow, this is really cool. You know, if, if they get this together, that's going to be interesting. I like that number that you just shared for anyone listening it's probably hard to fathom that 3 billion people on earth don't really have access to the internet, but like that's yeah. how many more people have yet to come online. Exactly. It's pretty crazy to think about. Oh man, Matthias, it's been awesome having you on the show. I want to say thank you for sharing some of the insights on industry growth, data and projects. I got to ask you, I still, I still have more questions. And before you go, I want to ask you some fun ones. There is a so-called emerging technology that I've been hearing about forever, but still not here yet. This idea of augmented reality everywhere. You know, of course, people have said for a long, since the days of Google Glass, people said, hey, people yeah. are going to start augmenting reality. It hasn't gotten there yet. Oculus is here and now Apple Vision Pro is coming. And, you know, there's definitely a push from the hardware makers, although I've only seen a handful of use cases. And of course, I don't really see anyone doing it outside of their home for sure. Do you see a place in the future where everyone has some type of vision system on their face, beaming holographic data back and forth in real time to other people? Because if if that starts happening, your network <laughs> gonna have to get yeah <laughs> even bigger. But yeah, we've been told this is coming for yeah. I feel like more than a decade, but I haven't seen it yet. Do you, do you do you see a future where this is like the primary form of I don't know entertainment or computing? Yeah. I could really see it. I, I kind of hope it's not going to happen because I kind of like the way it is right now. But I, <laughs> I, I can, I can really, I can really see it's coming together. And I, I think you know, people started to talk about this when the pandemic hit, and everyone had to work from home. And people started to think about, you know, okay, if you can't go to the office, maybe you can go to the office anyway by putting on the glasses back home, and everyone is suddenly in the office, and and you can talk to people and you can meet people and so on. So in some way, I think the pandemic just showed that we might need this. If, if, if we can't meet anymore, then maybe that's the way to meet. I could really see this coming and this happening and, and so on. And, and in some way, I kind of like it the way it is. But over time, I'm pretty sure, you know, I think Pokemon Go came around and that kind of opened the eyes of everyone to augmented reality. And, and suddenly you could see Pokemons everywhere without them existing everywhere. So... Uh, I think that was the first sign of what, what could happen. And, and I can definitely see in, in 10, 15 years that <laughs> everyone might sit at home with glasses and <laughs> yeah, see the world from a, yeah, from your couch. <laughs> well, listen, if that starts happening, uh, like, like you said, you've had many jobs, even though you've been at the same place and in same industry. Um, if that starts proliferating, there's no question your requirements will go up 
again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Matias, right. it was awesome having you on the show, man. Thanks for sharing all some of the stuff that you're doing at Aurelion. Thanks for sharing a lot about your career. I agree with you. Networks is a fascinating thing because it is actually the number one dependency that's unlocking all of this innovation that we all enjoy, but really most people don't think about it. <laughs> yeah, no. <laughs> Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, great. It was great to be here. Thanks for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Mm-hmm.